three weeks ago, before Mark spoke to us about missions, I talked about divine health. And um, it wasn't an easy one for, for lots of us to receive. It's, it's one that's not easy to preach because it's not easy to see in the natural. And um, I got some pushback from people about that. So I prayed, and I, I felt very strongly that the Lord, that that was from the Lord, that the scriptures were rightly divided, and that I should maybe take a look at the same thing from a different angle. So that's, that's what we're going to do today, talk a little bit more about that one from three weeks ago, where I said I'm not so sure whether Christians should actually ever be sick. I mean, we know biblically there's some reasons why a Christian would get sick, but by design that we probably shouldn't. And then I asked uh, Mike Pick to pray for me this morning before um, speaking, and he started praying a scripture over me that I think I'm going to read to you right now, and then I'll, I'll try to make it connect. This is right after uh, Jesus had multiplied the food the first time for the 5,000. Now, the 5,000 was just men, right? It's a lot like our money. He, he multiplies our money. He had a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread, and he broke it, and he kept breaking it and breaking it, and they fed 5,000 men, which people say was probably maybe as much as 20,000 people because they only counted the men. And when they were done, they had like, I forget this time, 12 baskets of fish and loaf, bread, <laughs> fish and loaf, fish loaf, fish and bread left over. So literally they fed all those people from a little bit. The people ate until they were full, and then they collected the scraps, which was – substantially more than what they started with. So that has just happened. He's sending the guys out on the boat to go to the other side of the lake. And I'll start in Matthew um, 14, verse 22. You don't have this one up there, Adriana. This was a late addition. Immediately, he, being Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent uh, the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray and when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by waves, for the wind was contrary. Contrary, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you have little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. This conversation about God's will for us in the area of divine health, it's a conversation about faith. And what happens is when we start to consider things that are very substantial in the faith, the devil starts to, like Nancy said, starts to come against us and come against us and come against us because he doesn't want us to believe everything that's true in God's kingdom. He wants us to be bound in our minds to people don't walk on water. They swim on water, they sink and drown in water, but they don't walk on water. But Jesus said that his kingdom is different. It's not of this world. It's not bound by natural law. The kingdom is the kingdom and the world is the world. So we have to battle against unbelief when we hear stuff like this that in the natural seems to be just goofy crazy. Somebody else asked me a question or made a statement to me, you know, what is the, this is what's behind all that, all this talk of, you know, whatsoever you ask when you pray and believe, know that you have it. All these, you know, bold and, 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 um, just ex extreme, but not in the kingdom sense, extreme things that, that we're talking about, that we should just believe for them. Um, and they try to describe to me what's behind it. And all of a sudden, I heard city on a hill. So let me just give you a couple of scriptures. Um, John chapter 8 and verse 12. Now, you should have these, Adriana. Then Jesus began, or excuse me, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, 
I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And then Matthew five fourteen through 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp to put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, when we start to grasp onto being the light of the world, as Jesus was the light of the world when he was here, when we start to understand what it means to be a city on a hill that everybody can see, whose light shines so brightly, when we understand that no one lights a lamp, see, in this context, the lamp is you. Every one of you is the lamp. You've been lit. You've been illuminated by the presence of God inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. The devil starts to panic. And he starts to have his guys start to shoot flaming arrows into our thoughts. And all of a sudden, the light of the world is, I'm a good guy now. And I didn't used to be a good guy. That is a tremendous fruit of God's spirit being inside of us, that we are transformed in our character. But that is, that, if that's the extent of the light, then there is a basket over top. Because the witness is to be the full witness of Jesus Christ. I keep repeating this over and over again, but man, we got to get in us to understand that when Jesus said to his disciples just prior, I mean, last thing before he ascends back into heaven, he said, go and wait, go and wait. Don't do anything else. Don't witness. Don't do anything. Don't, don't share the gospel until you get the gift of the father, the baptism of the Holy spirit, that you might be my witness. You have power to be my witness everywhere you go. They were illuminated at that point to, to be the bright light. And this Peter guy, right? I mean, I, I really have a lot of respect for Peter. He's the one that got out of the boat. He's like, if that's really you, Jesus, then call me out to you. And he walked on the water. Now, he, he let his mind come off of, off of the kingdom for a minute, and he fell down in the water, but he walked on the water. He's the guy who got into such a place of holiness and faith that People, if they knew Peter's daily routine, they would set their sick and their demon-possessed along the side of the road where he's going to walk so that just as he went by that his shadow might be cast upon them and they be healed and delivered. That's a light with no basket over it right there. Amen? We have to understand that, that by design, we are the light of the world, a city on a hill. Everybody's to see. If all they see is our goodness better than our badness, it's not a terrible witness, but it's not a moving witness that's going to cause people to be drawn to Jesus. We are the light of the world. We are to be a city on a hill. We are to represent Jesus, represent him in the fullness of his glory. One of the things I've struggled with in, in, in some of this, and, and I think others do too, is the Bible is kind of like, it's many books, but it's two parts, right? It's, it's the old part and the new part, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I've never quite had a great grasp on how much of the old has anything to do with the new or is what I read in the new because now it's, it's a whole new thing. Jesus is new. All this is different. That's the old stuff. This is the new stuff. That's the law. This is grace. Do they overlap? Do they have anything to do with each other? They have a ton to do with each other. Both testaments are about Jesus. The Old Testament is about Jesus. The New Testament is about Jesus. The entire Bible is about Jesus. In the Old Testament, not at the very beginning, but as you start to work your way into the book of Genesis, we find out that Israel, the Jews, right, the Old Testament, the, the Mosaic Covenant people were to be the light of the world. That was the design of God, is that he would... He would raise up a people that through their faith and obedience in him would live in cities that they didn't build. And they would drink from wells that they didn't dig. They would have prosperity that all the other nations had no answer for. When they would go and they would um, uh, have a battle against a foe, he would say, hey, listen, there's 30,000 of them and there's 30,000 of you. There's too many of you, Israel. Send the ones that are scared home. And the ones that, that are afraid they might die go home. And now there's, I forget the numbers, but there's 10,000 of them against 30,000. And he says, there's still too many. 
have them drink from, <laughs> drink from the pond, and the ones that lap it like a dog or the ones that drink it with their hand, I forget which was which, send those guys home. Now there's 300 against 30 or 40,000. He says, now you're ready. Because, see, if 30,000 beats 30,000, it's a fair fight. You know, maybe they had a better day. If 10,000 beats 30,000, man, they had some sharp generals and they were some tough dudes. When 300 defeat 30,000, God did it. God did it. And, and see, that was to be the testimony. That was to be the witness of Israel all through the Old Testament. But they didn't stand in faith, and they didn't keep covenant. But that's who they were supposed to be. The Old Testament and the New Testament are one great big book, and it's all about Jesus. In the prophet books, if you, if you really boil down what they said, it was either to foreshadow, to tell about the coming Messiah, or it was to call Israel back into covenant so that they could be this city on a hill that God wanted them to be. I saw two different numbers when I tried to study this. I didn't actually count it for myself. One was 845, one was 855. 855 times the Old Testament is referenced in the New Testament. That blew me away. So, so if, we, if we get this mindset that says the Old Testament is, stands on its own, we can't because the New Testament is built upon the Old Testament with the Messiah, with all these references. A great example. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3. Ephesians is New Testament. Ephesians is the Apostle Paul giving biblical, God-speaking-through-him instruction to the church. Here's what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may, may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So here is the Apostle Paul in the New Testament quoting one of the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament. So if people say, well, wait, old, the, the Ten Commandments, that's Old Testament. I'm under grace, I'm not under that. You're not under that unto your salvation, but you are under that unto righteousness and to representing Jesus. So he's quoting the Old Testament when he's teaching us how to live our lives in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 1.20. For as many as are the promises of God... In him, capital H, in Jesus, they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Is the Apostle Paul, who in Ephesians is quoting the Old Testament to teach us how to live in the New Testament, is he saying that these promises of God that are in Christ Jesus, that are yes and amen, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Is he saying that it's just the New Testament promises? Or is it all the promises? I think it's all the promises. In, it's interesting. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, honor your father and mother, is quoted twice in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy and in Exodus. It's quoted seven times in the New Testament. Is it Old Testament or New Testament? Answer, Yes. It's testament, it's God, it's Bible, it's scripture. Isaiah 53, 4, 4 and 5, one of the most awesome messianic prophecies that we have. And, and, and what that means is under, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the prophet Isaiah is speaking of the Messiah. In, in the New Testament, because it's translated from Greek, you see Jesus the Christ, the Greek word, Christos, I think, translated to the English word Christ. In, in the Old Testament, I don't know the Hebrew word, but it's, it's the Hebrew transliteration is Messiah. So when you see Messiah in the Old Testament, it's the same as Christ in the New Testament. This is a messianic, the Messiah. It's speaking to this coming Messiah, which we know is, is Jesus Christ. It reads this way. Surely our griefs could also be translated as sicknesses, surely our griefs or sicknesses he, Messiah, Jesus himself bore, and our sorrows or pain he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being, or if you're familiar with the ginormous Hebrew word shalom, the chastening for our shalom fell upon him. him. And by his scourging, we are healed. Okay? So... I don't, have, I don't have a lot to, to I, it's not a, part, a big part of the sermon today, but, but in the New Testament, you'll see two words that are translated from the Greek into saved or salvation, you know, what, what we would consider when we get saved. One of those words is uh, the Greek word soteria, and the other is the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O, sozo. Soteria, I got to be careful, soteria, almost always implies the eternal part of our salvation, the fact that we are found righteous in Christ Jesus, and if we were to die in this moment, we would spend eternity with God in heaven. Sozo, that word, includes our eternal salvation, but it also includes our physical salvation, like our healing. It includes our well-being. So when you see, um, for example, in Ephesians, where it says it's, it's, it's by... Uh, Grace you are saved through faith, not, not of yourself, so that no one would boast. And you think about saved, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? It's soteria salvation. It's I'm, I'm born again, I'm saved, I get to go to heaven. But the word that's in there is not soteria, it's sozo. It's this huge thing that was saved. Your physical well-being, your emotional well-being, and your eternal well-being are all included. And that's what's in here. He says... Our, our griefs or sicknesses he himself bore. In the New Testament in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus does a whole bunch of miracles. He heals Peter's mom, and then all these people bring all their sick to him. He heals them all. And it says this was to demonstrate what was prophesied by Isaiah in this right here, that our sicknesses and infirmities, sicknesses and infirmities, he carried them away. He, he bore them himself. So I'm saying to myself, if he has them, why should I have them? He took him away. So there's our physical well-being. It also says that by his scourging, we are healed. So there's one-third of sozo, physical well-being. Then it says, um, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's for our sin. That's for our transgressions against God, our sin that separated us from God eternally. Jesus on the cross and coming to the cross, the perfect and spotless Lamb of God, offering himself as the perfect and sinless high priest, paid the full price. That's why the Bible says he was the propitiation for our sin. He paid our sin debt. We don't have to pay it when we're found in Christ Jesus. Okay? (laughs) He opened his mouth and began to speak. That's okay. (laughs) So so our sickness and our, our infirmities, our sin is taken away by Jesus. And then it says, um, the chastening for our well-being or our shalom, our peace fell upon him. So, so the chastening that, that, that should take us out of peace was put on him. And Jesus said, my peace I give you. Not like the world gives do I give. So, so we have peace, which references to our souls, our mind, our will, and our emotions because of what Jesus did. We have health, because of what Jesus did. And we have soteria, eternal salvation, because our sin that was paid by Jesus. So sozo is like fully represented right here in this messianic prophecy. Now, we easy believe about the sin, because that's what's been preached about. Everybody talks about, do you want to be forgiven of your sins? But they don't talk about the other parts. So we're not conditioned in our faith to believe that we got anything more than our sins forgiven, which, hey, if that's all Jesus bought for us, it's way more than we deserved, right? It was by God's grace that we were saved through faith in what Jesus did that we get to have salvation. But Jesus did more than just get our sins taken care of. And we need to, we need to be a city on a hill that looks like what Jesus bought for us. Okay, just a couple more. Well, a lot more than a couple more. I told you I don't get shorter when I get an extra week. Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all our iniquities, who heals all, excuse me, all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Iniquity you can see as sin. 
Nobody has a problem believing that their sin is pardoned in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that he heals your diseases? You should. Deuteronomy 7, 12 through 15. These courses of scripture are in a few places in the early part of the Old Testament, and it's awesome because he's establishing the covenant with Israel, with the Jewish people here. And he says this. Now Moses is speaking on behalf of God. Then it shall come about because you listen to these judgments and do them, keep and do them, that the Lord your God, now this is his commands that he's given, that you keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to your forefathers. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless, man, it's, I think Anna's talking. It's, it, it was Anna speaking when she was up here trying to get us to, to receive what God has for us. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock in the land which he swore to you, excuse me, to your forefathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. Doesn't that sound like if you're looking at these people that they look like someplace you'd want to be? Like, I want to go to that city on a hill. You will be blessed above all peoples. There will be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. The Lord will remove from you all sickness. And he will not put on you any of the harmful diseases of Egypt, which you have known. But he will lay them on all who hate you. That's an even awesomer. (laughs) Think, Think about that in our context. City on a hill reflecting Jesus in the fullness of his glory. Greater works will you do than even Jesus did. That's what Jesus himself said, right? So he takes away all sickness from his body and and he puts it on the people that persecute him. We're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those that persecute you. If I'm the persecuting guy and the guys I'm persecuting aren't persecuted, they're healthy and blessed and loved and I got all this sickness, guess what? I want to go live in their city on a hill. I mean, we should be so beautifully drawing the world to Jesus like Israel was supposed to be a city on a hill in the Old Testament. It was conditional for them. They didn't just get to be a city on a hill. He said, because you listen and keep these commands of mine. They needed to walk in holiness. He would then bless them in their keeping of the covenant and then they would shine like the sun and people would be drawn to God. Ours is a better covenant. That covenant is less than our covenant. We have better promises, and we have a more excellent mediator. The mediator of that covenant was Moses. The mediator of our covenant is Jesus. Hebrews uh, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. But now he, speaking of Jesus, now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. See, we have better than what they had. And they had a situation where God, in their keeping of the covenant, was going to take away all their sickness. I don't think we're supposed to be sick if we're keeping covenant. Now, ours is conditional like theirs is conditional because the, the, the command or the, the teaching, I guess, um, the declaration in Galatians about sowing and reaping is true, right? If we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we reap life. So, so there's, an, there's an element of obedience associated with our participation in these promises, just like there was for Israel. And, and the second thing is faith. Peter walked on the water when he had faith. When his faith failed him, he sank in the water. Well, praise God, Jesus rescued him anyway. He didn't say, sorry, you know, a little more faith. Sleep with the fishes. He's gracious in our unbelief. I had a little gangster going there, sleep with the fishes, didn't I? <laughs> Slip on these cement slippers. I think in, in, in a macro sense, that's the only two things that separate us from 
those promises, which are all yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Obedience and faith. I mean, I've, I've said this so many times, you're, you're going to probably quote it for me, but from a 10,000-foot perspective, let's look at God's will. Matthew 6.10, Jesus said, when you pray, this is the things that you should pray for. Your kingdom come, you praying to God the Father. God in heaven, Father, your kingdom come, your will, what you desire, be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you ever say, well, what's God's will? An easy answer is heaven. In heaven, God's will is perfectly represented. And then when he says, whatsoever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven, you can look to heaven and you can say, the flu. I don't see it in heaven. It's not God's will. Does it mean that God can't give you the flu? No, we talked about getting sick based upon sin. We talked about getting sick based upon um, God disciplining us. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, is it possible that God would make us sick? You bet. But not because he's mad at us, not because he wants us to be sick. It's a tool that he uses. It's a tool that he uses. I'll get there. He could also do it because we, he wants to demonstrate his glory through us. Is that it? Is that this? Yeah, I'm, it's coming. <laughs> There's a lots of reasons why we might actually be sick, but it's not the plan for the church to be sick. It's the plan for the church to be a city on a hill. God's will on earth as it is in heaven. If it's not free to operate in heaven, it's not God's will for it to operate here, and we're to bring about his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Romans fourteen seventeen. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, although... In this context, it's not, but actually when we go to heaven, there's going to be eating at least. I don't know about drinking, but there's going to be eating. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, right? So if we're not walking in righteousness, we're outside the kingdom, right? When we have fellowship with God, it's in the light, not in the darkness. Peace, Jesus purchases for us, right? We have the Holy Spirit. That's the manifestation of the kingdom in us that should be coming out of us. And joy, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the life that we should be living in the kingdom in the Holy Spirit. Um, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John had been taken, this is John the Baptist, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent, we think of repentant like, oh, I did something bad. I need to be sorry and do something good. That, that, that has an element of repentance in it. But repentance in, in the biblical New Testament sense means to, to change the way you think. And that when you change the way you think, it will change the way you believe. And then when the way you believe changes, everything changes. For a moment in time, Peter's, mind was in the kingdom and he walked on the water to Jesus. And then in a moment in time, maybe he caught a flaming arrow from the devil. Yeah, he came in agreement with fear. He came in agreement with nature. He came in agreement with everything he'd ever seen in his whole life and he sank. But see, that wasn't the kingdom. The kingdom isn't the earth. Jesus said, they, uh, was a pilot said, are you a king? He said, yeah, but I'm not a king of this realm. I'm a king of, of a different realm, a different place. And then in, I think it's 2 Corinthians, it says that, that you are not citizens here, you're citizens there. You have been sent as ambassadors from there to bring about reconciliation here, to release the kingdom, look like a city on a hill on earth as it is in heaven. This is, this is the meat right here. Romans 12 one and two. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So, Offering ourselves as 
uh, living in holy sacrifice is acceptable to God. When I think about that, the first thought that comes to my mind is, you know, I, I don't chew tobacco and spit on the sidewalk, and I don't do bad things, I do good things. But faith, offering ourselves in faith, is the sacrifice, it's a sacrifice that he's looking for. It extends beyond just what we do and what we don't do. It, it extends into how we think and how we believe. So when, when Peter was getting out of the boat, what he was doing was he was offering himself by faith because he was putting down unbelief. He says, if you truly are the Lord, then call me out there. And he started walking on the water. See, that's one of the ways we offer ourselves as holy and acceptable to God, as our spiritual service of worship is when we choose faith over not faith. When we choose what he's teaching us over what the world is teaching us. When we choose what he says over what experience says, that's us putting ourselves on the altar of God as a living and holy sacrifice, as much as I quit doing bad things and I started doing good things. Continue on. Repent. Do not be conformed to this world. So we are to change and not have the form of this world. Me might think this is a little screwy, but the form of this world is when the flu bug gets in me, I get sick. But the form of the kingdom is when the flu bug gets in me, it dies. There are people that have had um, amazing faith in areas like this. Some of you have heard of a guy named John G. Lake. Unbelievable. You should read some John G. Lake stories if you want to have your socks blown off. Somebody tried to test him. I don't remember the exact circumstances, but basically they put live bubonic plague in his hand and it died. It just died. They put it in there. He says, no, you don't understand. I'm from a different place. I don't have susceptibility. Jesus said, hey, you'll drink deadly poison and it won't harm you. Why? Because it can't unless you give it permission to. And he said, go ahead. And they put the stuff in his hand. And it just, I, I think they said it turned black and it died. It couldn't. It couldn't live in his world because it can't live in that world. And he was so in the kingdom that the plague, the actual yucky plague, he wasn't afraid. He just put it in there. Put two. I don't care. We offer ourselves as living and holy when we don't take on the form of the world. We take on the form of the kingdom but be transformed. Now, the word in the Greek behind transform is metamorpho. <laughs> That's the way Blue Letter Bible says it, metamorpho. <laughs> it's the same word that we use when we speak to the thing that happens to a caterpillar when it turns into a butterfly. See, he's saying, don't be a caterpillar. That's the form of the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind into a completely different, right? What does the scripture say? You're born again. You're a new creature in Christ. You've been born of imperishable seed, incorruptible seed. Don't listen to the lies of the world. Don't listen to the realities of the world. Don't take on the flaming arrows of the enemy and allow yourself to be conformed to the things that they're bound by because we're not bound by those things. We have been metamorphosized. We were baptized, right? What happens? The the caterpillar spins himself a thing and he goes in there and then he comes out and he's not a caterpillar anymore. What happens to us? Somebody spins us a pool of water. We go down in that thing and we come out and we're not that anymore. That that guy's supposed to stay in the water. The new creation in Christ is what comes out. And then the end part. So many of us miss the end part so that you may prove the will of God. What's the will of God? Easy, on earth as it is in heaven. Why do I have to be transformed? Because if I'm not transformed, if I don't change, if my mind doesn't get renewed, then I don't prove the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. Nobody's sick in heaven. Nobody. It's not possible. When we get into eternity, there, there won't be, it'll be something we'll talk about. Remember in the good old days? Remember back there on the earth? People used to get sick. They used to have depression. None of that stuff can operate in heaven. It's not God's will for it to operate here because the perfect representation of his will is heaven. Pray this way. Your, first, it starts with our Father in heaven. 
hallowed be your name. Holy and set apart should be your name. Treated with such awe and reverence should be your name because you are the God of the universe. You are the only true God in the person of the Father. Your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth like it is in heaven. The perfect representation of his will. Why must we offer ourselves as a sacrifice? Why must we not be conformed to the ways of the world or the thinking of the world? Why must we be transformed, metamorphosized like a caterpillar into a butterfly, transformed by the renewing of our mind? Why? So that we can prove God's will. Hey, listen, you know, have you heard about Jesus? Well, yeah, everybody's heard about Jesus, but man, you you got a, is that a, Broken arm? Yeah. Do you know that it's not God's will for your arm to be broken? And he sent me as an agent of his kingdom, as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven to you that, that you could get healed. If you don't believe he's going to do it, probably not likely to happen. But if you recognize that that's his will and it's a testimony, what did Jesus do? I mean, you talk about healing. All of the miracles and things Jesus did, I got to bet you 95% of them were healing. When he sent out the the 12, what did he tell them to do? Heal the sick, cast out the devils. When he sent out the 70, what did he tell them to do? Heal the sick and cast out the devils. And he told them, listen, don't take any extra money with you. You won't need it. Don't need an extra pair of shoes. Your shoes aren't going to wear out. What happened to Israel in the wilderness? Their shoes didn't wear out. He told them, don't take anything with you because the worker is worthy of his wage or his keeping. Right? Yeah. So those guys went out and, and he gave them authority. It says he gave them authority over sickness and over the devil or the the demonic. What does it say in Mark chapter 16? These signs will follow those who believe. They will heal the sick. They will drink deadly poison and won't harm them. Cast out demons. Thank you. I don't think it says that right there. But the point is, that's the kingdom, right? That's the kingdom. It's so important that, that when you read Romans chapter 12 at the beginning there, that you understand that he's calling us to such a high plane that we have to change the way we think. Well, I just, you know, it's hard for me to believe that that cancer's gone, or it's hard for me to believe. Well, it is, because we've been indoctrinated into the world, and we have to be transformed, like not just change a little bit, not like from a brown caterpillar to a rainbow caterpillar. No, we have to be completely changed, transformed. We have to think differently. Our whole worldview has to change. Like, like... Math in our church account. There's no math that puts $39,000 in our account like that. It, it's only the Lord. That's why we don't worry about it. it. There is so much demonic pressure on a pastor to manipulate the snot out of you guys. Don't tell them that you got money because they'll stop giving money. doesn't matter what you do. If you give it, it'll be in there. If you don't, it'll still be in there. It, it matters that we trust God. The devil wants us to manipulate and, and all this kind of stuff. It's just dumb. Amen. Why don't we just walk on the water? Why don't we multiply the fishes and the loaves? We shall. It's about glorifying God. It's about honoring Jesus and believing and receiving all he purchased with his suffering. If I'm up there and I'm Jesus, I'm like, man, I'm... It feels good that I, I, you know, I had these things jammed through me in my hands and in my feet because they believe for the forgiveness of their sin. And that just blesses me that, that they believe for what I did. But man, I took a lot of wax that they might be healed. I would feel a lot better if they would trust that that's theirs too. I was chastened beyond what any of them can even imagine that they might have shalom. It would be awesome if they believed that. We, we honor Jesus. And what he did for us, when by faith we believe that we have what he said, we get. City on a hill is fully, fully representing. Sorry, I have the hiccups. Fully, no, uh, uh, I'm okay. Fully representing Jesus to the world. When, the fa- when Jesus said, don't, don't start being a preacher until you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because you need power to be my witness. If they would have just took off and started preaching, they could preach a good preach. They'd just been with Jesus for three years. 
But it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of God through us, that demonstrates the witness of Jesus Christ casting out the devils and raising the dead and, and, and having the character of Jesus himself, of healing sick people, all that kind of stuff that creates the city on a hill that's so attractive to the world to come to Jesus. Jesus himself said in Luke 18, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And what we're talking about here is full-on faith. Not one-third of the Messianic prophecy faith, but three-thirds of the Messianic prophecy faith. So you can see this from different perspectives. You can look at this whole thing from different perspectives. And usually when I get the pushback, what I get is, are you telling me that my, pick your affliction, is my fault? You're telling me that I did something and now God has given me this? And my answer is, I don't know why you have that. But your perspective is wrong. Who cares how you got it? Let's care about getting rid of it, right? So maybe, just maybe it's natural. Maybe you're just naturally got a thing. I got ahead of myself a little bit. Your perspective can be, are you saying I'm responsible for my whatever the yuck is? Or are you telling me? <laughs> I'm thinking of everybody. You should never watch this movie, by the way. Anybody seen the movie Dumb and Dumber? Right? Right? And, and I don't know whether he's dumb or dumber, but one of those two guys, dumb or dumber, chases this beautiful lady across the country in his little furry van. And he's in love with her, and, and she's not. And she's like, listen, you know, I think, dude, your chances are about one in a million. And the guy gets all lit up. He says, you're telling me I got a chance. Right? <laughs> We got way better than one in a million chance. We got the king of kings and the Lord of lords placed his spirit inside of us. So rather than having this perspective like, oh, man, I must be a horrible person because the pastor just tried to use the scripture to tell me I'm so bad that God made me sick. Or you can say, you're telling me I don't have to be sick? And maybe, maybe... Let me jump to the application and get you out of here. Here's the application. Don't just give blanket acceptance to sickness and infirmity. Don't just, don't, even if all we got is the faith to say maybe not, then let's say maybe not, okay? I'll tell you a quick testimony. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. Thank you, though, honey. Um, the Lord taught me how to deal with flaming arrows, with bad thoughts that come into my mind. I would have... <laughs> lustful thoughts. I would have selfish thoughts. I would have all kind of bad thoughts. And the Lord taught me over time through the scriptures, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Dwell on these things. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication. He taught me through the scriptures, right? And, and so I would get um, a lustful thought would come into my mind. And at one point, even as a Christian, that thing would go, I mean, I would entertain it and I would have the thought and I would think about the bad thing that was in my head. He taught me that that's not my thought. That was the enemy's thought. And it only became anything to me when I, re, when I chose to receive it and ponder on it. That's why Philippians 4 says, Apostle Paul says, dwell on these things that are excellent and lovely and true. And I'm like, well, Lord, I, I, I think I'm getting the process, but I don't understand what this, you know, lovely and true and excellent is. I heard the word scripture. So I taught myself Psalm 23. You've heard this testimony before. And then the Holy Spirit would shake me, like when a bad thought was coming into my mind, a flaming arrow from the enemy. And I would raise my shield of faith to extinguish the flaming arrow or the fiery dart of the enemy by reciting Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And I don't have the thought anymore. And, and the glorious thing, one time, I got about halfway through, you know, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Not only was the thought gone, I understood why I was reciting Psalm 23, but I couldn't remember the thought that ticked it off. I'm like, Lord, am I losing my mind? He said, and here's exactly what I heard. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It was never mine to begin with. Because it wasn't mine, when I submitted to God, when I resisted the devil, he had to go and he had to take his thought with him. And I'm like, wow, it's not that I have a bad memory. 
It's that it was never mine to begin with, and it's not there anymore. Okay, so he taught me this process. One day, it was a Sunday. I was leaving. Well, it was back in my HP days. I was leaving for out of town um, on Monday morning, and everybody in the house was sick. Sweats and fever, shivering. And all of a sudden, I started feeling it coming on me. And I'm like, Lord, I got to go out of town tomorrow. There's, I don't know if you ever travel, but there's nothing worse than being miserable sick in a hotel room. You don't have your wife to take care of you. And, and my wife's very good at taking care of me. And I'm like, Lord, I can't get sick. And here's what I heard. I taught you how to deal with this. And I said, Lord, you never taught me how to deal with this. He said, I taught you how to deal with this. I said, Lord, what you taught me how to deal with was bad thoughts, flaming arrows. I taught you how to deal with this. Are you telling me that I'm not actually sick? That this is a lie from the devil? I taught you how to deal with this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I feel no symptoms. Oh, my gosh. Hour and a half later, I felt it coming on again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Makes me to lie down in green pastures. Right through that evening, I had to, the, the lie came, and it was a lie. I could feel it, and I chased it off. And it came again, and I chased it off, and it came again, and I chased it off. And I went to bed well, and I got up well, and I went out of town, and I wasn't sick. Yes, because it's practical. We can't just accept it. Because it's kind of what we know. So here's the thing. Don't just give blanket acceptance to sickness and infirmity. Secondly, sincerely ask the Lord, where did this come from? And, and if your faith isn't to the place yet where you, you, you believe that it's all spiritual, and the Lord might say, if it's, if it's natural, then what do you do? You seek God to heal you, right? He is our healer. Jesus took it away. One of them snuck back. Have him take it back and pray or have someone pray over you to be healed. If it's a natural sickness, it can still be healed by God. Second thing, if it's spiritual, remember, Lord, where did this come from? If, is it sin? Is it discipline? Is it curse? Is it to glorify you, God? Seek the source. If it's sin, discipline, or curse, seek the source, repent, Seek to be healed. And that was a testimony we had from Tanya last week. I had to go pick her up from school. She was sick. She came home. I said, ask the Lord. Maybe you, you, know, maybe there, you got sideways with them a little bit and it opened the door to this sickness. We talked a minute. Maybe you got some bitterness in your heart for somebody. Ask God. She said, I don't have to ask him. I know. I said, okay, then just quiet between you and God. Confess it to him. She did. I prayed for her. She got healed. She was better. It was sin. You may call it what you want. Call it coincidence if you want. But I got a sick daughter and I got a healthy daughter. Bang. Symptoms. Her ears are bugging her. Her ears aren't bugging her anymore. Seek the source. Repent. Ask for his forgiveness. Be healed. It may be, because there was a guy in the Bible, right? Lord, why is he blind? Is it from his sin or from his parents' sin? Neither. It was that God might be glorified in him. So maybe God wants to be glorified in you, and that's why you got it. It's a, there's a biblical precedent for it. But the glorifying of God came when? When he wasn't blind anymore. Not because he was blind, because he wasn't blind anymore. The glory is in the miracle, not in the being sick or being blind. And I'll leave you with this. I had this in here, and I took it out, and I put it back. It's just Paul saying goodbye in his letter to the church at Thessaloniki. Right, Anna? Huh? That's where you're born, right? Anna was born in Thessalonica, Th Thessaloniki in Greece. Anyway, listen to this. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul didn't say, hey, man, you know, don't lose your salvation because you'll go to hell instead of heaven. He said, may he sanctify you completely in your spirit, 
in your soul, right? In your spirit for your sin, in your soul for your shalom, and in your body for your healing and your well-being. I'm telling you, I believe that we're not supposed to get sick. A city on a hill doesn't have a bunch of diseases. The thing you've got to be careful of is you can't let the devil get in your head and tell you there's something wrong with you. Anybody in here, raise your hand if you've never been sick, never had any sickness, infirmity, disease, flu, nothing. Look around. Nobody's got a hand up. We're all no different than anybody else. If, if what I'm preaching to you is true, then we've all stumbled in the area of who knows why we got sick, maybe even natural sick. But we aren't supposed to be. It's not God's will. It's not in heaven. So what I'm asking you to do is just start to apply faith. Just a little bit. Why is this here? And then listen. If your listener's not tuned, then you start, need to start to develop your, your um, devotion life with the Lord a little bit more. Because he's telling us. He wants to tell us. He wants to be glorified. Amen? Okay, um, I don't know who to blame for being so long. I blamed Pastor McKay before. Okay. So that's I, can a good I, word. I just want to pray real quick before, before okay. you do that. Sorry. Man, that's a scary thought, me dancing. <laughs> you all need deliverance. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for being awesome. Thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that Jesus took care of everything, Lord. We pray that we will not live below our privilege. We pray that we will live in the fullness of what was purchased for us by Christ Jesus through all his suffering through all of the anguish, through all of the wrath associated with our sin, that we will walk in the fullness of our privilege. We ask, Lord, to be strengthened in our faith, each and every one of us strengthened, just like Jesus prayed for Peter, that we be strengthened in our faith, that our faith will not fail, and that even though the paradigm is so large, Lord, that we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We will demonstrate your will on this earth as it is in heaven, and your church will shine like your sun. And you be glorified in your church. And I pray it in Jesus.